This call will be recorded or transcribed. Hello? Hi, Dad. Hi, Annie. How are you, Mom? Very good. We got a little cameo from Mom there speaking in Tamil. Oh, in the background, see, we were talking yeah. to Preeta Chuti. Usually we finish by 2 o'clock today. Yeah, last minute they started a new topic. So it's going. <laughs> okay, can you talk now? Do you want me to call back in a few minutes? Or? No, 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 it's okay. All right. Oh, we can start, yeah. Okay. Um, ah, almost so done. chapter five, I think it five. is, right? Chapter five, yeah, yeah, so this this chapter takes place pretty much entirely in England, right? Or not entirely. No, no, not no, entirely. no, before. No, not really. It starts starts with uh, buying a new plane, and uh, he gets the uh, funding from uh, the sheikh. Ah, right. Yeah, so that's the first part is that. But the interesting thing, um, it starts with a poem, which is kind of strange. It's from Omar Khayyam. Mm-hmm. For threats of hell and hope of, hopes of paradise, one thing alone is certain that life flies. One thing is certain and the rest is lies. The flower that once has blown forever dies. That looks like really fatalistic. <laughs> anyway. Well, it's funny. I, I, wonder if it's a, I wonder if there's a double entendre there about flies. Right? So both that... Oh, oh. This is because oh, yeah, nice of the airplane, oh. like an airplane. <laughs> okay, could be. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, then you know, I mean, he um, goes to buy the other plane because it was funded by the sheik. The, the sheik gives a interest-free loan. Hello. Right. Yeah. 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 So then he she, he meets the girl and. Uh, um, he is interested because he he comes there at a good time and he enjoys British uh, scenery and uh, the facilities that they have. And he starts looking for a job there, looking for. Well, not a job, a business. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's what I mean. Yeah, investing in a investing in a garage. He comes to the garage. Yeah. I assume it's an automotive garage primarily. Yeah. So I guess right. none of them look like them. I also do some boat work. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I mean, he's developing a friendship with this girl, a relationship with this girl, and uh, the idea is that he'll marry her and settle down there, isn't it? Right. Well, that, that this is the alternative that crops up, is that yeah. he could sell his – right, so he's – been laser focused on building this business, yeah. and he finally has a way to, you know, grow it at the scale needed to kind of monopolize the market, and because he has this money from the sheik, and so he yeah. goes there specifically to buy that plane. But it takes like a two months because it's like a custom job where they can outfit it specifically for him and right. his use cases and things like that. And so while yeah. he's there, he starts hanging. So I th- so the thing that struck me actually is that. Uh, the the I think the first impetus for him to stay there was this sensation his parents are getting older, right, and they don't really have anyone to take care of them, right. I mean that to me felt like the primary thing that made him like feel like there was sort of a moral pull to to stay in England, and then the idea of selling his business and buying the garage and marrying this girl kind of felt like uh, secondary to that. 
Yeah. Uh, which was interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But then, of course, the, the plot twist is that the very fact that he got money from a sheik raised all these red flags in the, uh, the regency, the British government, because, you know, the last thing they want is for some Englishman to, like, cheat a sheik and, uh, you know, cause civil unrest. Unfortunately, which, you know, good for them that they're doing their job and checking it out. Bad for them is that they talked about this in a way that the servants could overhear, which started all these horrible rumors, and there's this incipient uh, threat of chaos descending. And there's a certain irony. It's like the whole reason the sheik gave him this money was so that he could, um, you know, build this business and kind of be a patron to this, uh, you know, um, a messianic figure and now he's gonna he's using that money to kind of bail on them and go to <laughs> england to live in comfort and yeah. abandon it and and the reason he's going back is precisely because uh like so ironically if the british uh government had kept their mouth shut and or his chief uh didn't say anything about the unrest he might well have gone through with it Right. And yeah. it is only. Um, and so what's interesting is that you mentioned, you hinted at this last time that there was a church involved. Right. Because he was yeah. torn between this sort of domestic bliss, you know, living out to fulfilling his family obligations on every level. Right. Living with his parents, getting married, having grandkids, et cetera. Yeah. And he's like, he figured out, like, I could, you know, I couldn't handle living in a job for somebody else, but, you know, owning my own garage and building it out. After looking at a range of options, like I, yeah, I could, I could totally do this. This would totally work. But yeah. then, because everything was falling apart, he felt torn, and then he wanders into a church, yeah. and doesn't remember anything much about it. He may even have just slept because he hadn't been sleeping well the last previous night. But at the yeah. end of it, he found this sort of transcendent peace and realized, I have to go hmm. back and fix this. It's yeah. just not right to I mean, abandon my people or sell it in these kind of circumstances. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, interesting thing is. He says, you know, good singing, a hymn or two, an anthem, and all the familiar ritual that I had known as a boy. I'm still tired once or twice. I nearly fell asleep upon my knees. Maybe God did that for me. I know when it You're was right. over and I walked out of the choir, I was rested and quite calm. I knew what I got to do. I got to go back to Bahrain and forget about the garage. <laughs> and his mind yeah. was at ease. <laughs> I love mm. it that the only evidence, the only time he explicitly acknowledges God working <laughs> is when he <laughs> fell asleep in church. Which, <laughs> well, not when, right afterwards, I guess. That could be the same. Yeah. Well, I mean, it seemed like he was saying that God did that for me, giving him rest yeah, but, after he'd been restless. Yeah. You know? And then when he woke up, he was, he was clarified. Like, it, like, you know, the, the, and you know what's funny? Mm right is that like it does feel legit right it feels hmm. like yeah like in this situation when he's facing this this was the kindest thing god could do for him is give him peace yeah. Yeah. help him to sort of you know like and help like it wasn't the best yeah. yeah yeah you know give him the place where, yeah what's funny is, is contrasting this with my story right hmm. which was very yeah. much a um a um confrontational 
sort of mm. a thing. Yeah. It, well, it was a direct, but there was definitely a uh, a cathartic uh, encounter. Yeah. Right. Where with with this priest figure who says he's not a priest, uh, mm. who shares, you know, identifies with yeah. him in his struggles and talks yeah. about forgiveness and shame and, and these mm. things. Right. There's a cognitive aspect to this, mm. uh, to my version, where he ends yeah. up sort of transformed. Whereas this feels like genuine, but it's much more of a um, a uh, relaxation. It's like, hey, you're all. I mean, in some sense, the way he describes the process he went through, it sounds very Eastern. Oh, you are caught up in all the illusions of this world, and that creates conflicting desires and stress. You need to empty yourself and let go of that, and then you can see the true path. You know, which mm. is not untrue right uh and yeah. and, and, and and so it's it, it's it's let's say more yin than yang or the other way around right there's, there's there's two different and like i think one thing that's interesting for me is that i tend to uh like the, the eastern symbol is the circle right the sense of mm. zero and emptiness and perfection whereas the western mm. symbol is the cross right yeah. it's the reconciliation of opposites uh, you know, conflict, death into life, things like that. And yeah. I think is you need both. Uh, you know, both are important aspects of spirituality. Yeah. Um, and at this time, like, See, this he is says, the kind you know, of spirituality he could receive. It's interesting that before he uh, goes to the service, he walks into the cathedral. It was quiet and dim and cool in the cathedral. I stood at the end of the nave, vaguely looking around. It was a restful and a good place to think in. And then he, yeah. he so he goes there. I think he hasn't decided what to do. Like you said, it's conflict, conflicting thoughts there. You know, should he stay here? Should he go? And even though he doesn't know fully what's happening in Bahrain, um, but he has to decide whether he should sell the business uh, or not. Um, whether he has to basically is looking for God's will in this <laughs> and walks into the church. Yeah, well, and, the thing is, I thought, yeah. And well, the, thing you know, the thing is, is that... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Dad. So, no, so no, I was going to say was, that it's interesting that in the uh, ritual part, he finds peace. It was the, the hymns and the uh, familiar uh, rituals Brings about as he almost falls asleep on his knees, but um, that means you know, in some way, looking at it, you know, he was willing to listen to what God has to say for, to him in that cathedral, and maybe he was kneeling. He was praying, right? Everybody's praying. You, know, you kneel and pray there. They have uh, kneeling pads, and some, some peace comes over him. He almost goes to sleep, and then when he wakes up or whatever. He knows exactly what to do. He gets the answer, basically in the rituals, which is unusual. Right. Well, I mean, this is you know, to be fair, the the so here this is the interesting thing for me about this mm. scene uh, is that mm. uh, we you use the phrase seeking God's will, right? And well, well, within quotation marks, within quotation marks. Which, <laughs> well, yeah, but well, I think the interesting, right? Like for us. Uh, especially sort of in the post-charismatic era, there's a much mm. more uh, 
uh, involved sense of what it means to seek God's will. The way mm. that he talked about it then, I think the words he would use is he just wants to do the right thing. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's yeah. a bit more. Um, um, God is a bit more, um, for lack of a better word, passive or pacifying element, mm. right? It, it's just like the answer is within me. I need to figure out what it is that I actually want. And, you know, what is actually most important to me in, in mm. this thing? Or what do I feel like? Actually, maybe more that, maybe even like, what is his. I, mean, I think the way that he might have framed it is that do I have a duty? Well, I think what he said is like he's growing up in the shadow of World War II, right? Where there's, right, you know, people right. were literally laying down their lives for duty all the time. And yeah. also British culture, one of the things that's very admirable about it is that it is, you know, there's a great sense of responsibility, right? Duty. And, and this, duty. Duty, duty, right, yeah. And what's interesting is that I feel like this is the same um, thing that made him feel responsible for his wife's death, even if the law declared him blameless. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's something there. Um, yeah. And that he, uh, he doesn't explicitly refer back to any of his spiritual encounters like where he was making people, like remember the, the, the experience he had at the Buddhist shrine yeah. uh, with the gun runners camp where he right, like, right. Yeah, he felt yeah. like I, there was consciously like, I have to submit myself to something bigger than me. So don't keep becoming yeah. the horrible person that I was in the past. Right. Um, but this almost feels like it's kind of the flip side of that somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The thing that's interesting to me mm. is that um, I was thinking how his, relationship we were talking here about his relationship with god uh you know there's definitely a, something there but it's kind of impersonal right it's this ritual structured situation where you can feel the peace of god and let go of his worries and yeah. find the answer within himself that he really uh, needed there, okay. there is you, definitely you, that's, you, a, that's a, yeah you hold the thought Go hold on to that while i some thought came to me it is interesting that he's becoming more spiritual because could that be because of the influence of Shaq Lim? Because Shaq Lim brought in faith into work and faith into the ritual of prayers, the Muslim prayers five times and things like that. And even though he went and knelt, he, didn't, he was not really praying at the time. So somehow his spirit is getting awakened. There's that. So whether by chance or, or by intention, he walked into a cathedral when his mind is troubled. And so it looks like he's talking about God here too. God made me do it and things like that. So was it because of Shacklin's influence or the things that Shacklin's were doing with his engineers? What do you think? So that's a great question. And I think that's a good one to leave open because I like you've read the rest of the book uh, more recently than I have. It's like, yeah. okay, does it feel, because like the, the couple things that are interesting about this is, well, mm. that like, we don't know, like, is this it? Or is there actually further spiritual development that happens later in the book, right? Because right. at this point in time, right. it's like, is this just like a one-off thing? Or is there actually a trend of greater spiritual awakening? And, you know, maybe the book is about that, right? That, that is a viable mm. hypothesis 
like this whole chapter, Shockwave is mostly irrelevant, right? He doesn't really do much. It's just who he is causes certain oh, things to happen. No, no, I think it's important because he's exposed to the sheik giving him money because of religious purposes. That really surprised him because Gajar said, Sorry, sorry, him, Tom. Sorry, sorry, who, you, I lost track of the pronoun he. Tom. Who are you talking about? Tom, right, so yeah, Tom, Tom, that's what I mean. Shocklin is not an active, um, it, like the, 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 the bulk of this chapter, Shocklin mm. does hardly anything, right? He writes one letter full of, of non-essentials and he probably lets slip to the sheik that this is happening. Uh, yeah. But that's it, right? Yeah. Like Gujat, the, the, the other character, Gujat Singh, and the Regency, and his dad, and this girl. Like, they're all the major characters. He's very much a, Shocklin's very much a background character in this chapter. I know, Noma, see, what happens when uh, the Sheik offers him the loan, Gujar offers who the loan, the one, Sorry, the Dad, loan. You, you, uh, offers Tom the loan, okay. Yeah, the Sheik offers Tom the loan. Right. Right? Because the yeah. Wazir comes in, and he says, you know, he's going to give the money, then then Gajar Singh says there are two things that are good about this. First one is, this way you won't have any competition because the sheik owns all the oil, the company, you'll have good standing with the company. The company wouldn't want to give business to anybody else because mm -hmm. the, the sheik is sheik's money at risk, right? Mm -hmm. That's one. And the second thing he says, it's for religious reason he gave you the money because that's what he explains to him. And it was surprising to Tom that and then Gujar Singh says, you know, you are not used to in the West people doing this for religious purposes, and he's willing to give a lot of money for this, and also he's not going to take any interest because of his religion. Mm -hmm. So he that opened his eyes to a different type of faith, people acting in their faith, which he was not used to. He was more used to the ritualistic part of it, not the uh, action part of it. Remember, we always said love is a verb and all that. Okay, things. so the, the, someone once said, if someone, there is no wrong answers, there's only right answers to a different question. So what okay. question were you answering by telling me that story? Well, um, the question was, how, how is Tom's faith journey changing? So, you know, okay, that was the question you were trying to answer. That was not the question yeah, I was asking, yeah. so I'm curious what, okay, we're, 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 how yeah, we got there. Because before this, he was not really a, quote, religious person. He was exposed to it, and he was not participating in any other things. And he was, now it looks like when uh, he sees other people acting out their faith, even though it's a sheik uh, doing that. and. Uh, Gajar Singh says, you know, we do this in our uh, faith without any problem and giving more importance to your faith rather than money. Um, that type of thing. So slowly he's being exposed to different kind of acting in faith. Okay. So and I agree with that's, that. That's one part and of that. And then, then he goes to the cathedral and in a religious setting, he gets an answer to his dilemma. So he's growing in his faith. Okay. Did you think I was disagreeing with that statement? 
no, 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 no. I just observed it. Okay, I because I made noticed. a statement, and then, it, and then it seemed like you disagreed with me, and I was trying to figure out what was going on. So let me make no, no, my no. statement oh, again is, and see if you heard me. Because oh, you, okay. like, you said, no, 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 and then you went to this long anecdote, and I'm trying to figure out why. So the statement I made was, it mm. feels like Shock Lin is a background character in this chapter. Who is? Shaq Lin. Who is the, the cop. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right, okay. So I think the point I was making was, which was agreeing with you, which is Mm. that from this perspective, you know, the question, our framing question of what is this story about? You know, Shock Lin, like the story doesn't really seem, this chapter doesn't seem to be about Shock Lin very much at all. Right. The, um, and so, and so it raises another possibility, which we hadn't really talked about that much which mm. is that the story might be about Tom Cutter's spiritual development and not so much about some of these larger cultural or religious issues. But, it, and so that is an interesting, and that the, the business and the religious uh, or, and the marriage issues and things like that are yeah. secondary to this sort of spiritual journey that Tom Cutter is on. Yeah, and that, and in some ways, the so you could even if you wanted to play with this hypothesis further, you could say, well, even the fact that Connie is set up as this messianic figure is designed to create these tensions in order for, and this is fascinating because I never thought of Neville Shoot as a spiritual formation writer. Mm You know, I haven't read enough of his other books, but, uh, you know, I think kind of like you did when you were younger, I read these as sort of adventure stories, right? right? About these guys in strange right. worlds going through strange experiences, you know, yeah. not dissimilar from like, you know, the Edgar Rice Burroughs stuff that I read growing up. But, mm. you know, this is an interesting dimension. Now, um, all right, are you finished saying the part you were going to say? Um, yeah, no, no it was an interesting thing that I noticed that Tom seems to be getting more spiritual, and I was wondering, was it because he was exposed to Shacklin's way of addressing faith? Because, you know, he basically, we talked about last time about ministry in daily life, bringing uh, your faith into your um, occupation, your, your uh, vocation. So um, he, he was not exposed to that. Tom Cutter was not used to that, it was more of a ritualistic thing, watching this for me type of religion that he was used to. Whereas uh, Shaq Lin's approach is you involve God in every aspect of your life, mainly where you interact with other people in your, in your uh, job, uh, mainly in the garage, in the, in the, in the hangar. Um, so slowly from a purely material point of view of you know, improving his business, now he's looking at it a little bit differently. Because the fact that he has decided to go back, not materialistic at all. Because if you look at it purely from a materialistic point of view, the right decision will be to sell it now. And, and settle down in England. He found a girl there. His parents are there. That'll be the right decision. But he cares for other people. He's worried about his other people, right? 
What do you think? Okay. So a couple of things. One is I need to go back to an earlier point, but I'll say that for just stay here. I think there's a couple of interesting things. One is hmm. that um, you could frame it as material versus spiritual. You hmm. could also frame it as domestic versus professional obligation, right? In some sense, like he feels like, I mean, and this is you know not an obvious thing, but he says like his professional obligation to um, sorting his out employer, the situation, his, his employees, and maybe hmm. to the, the British government there, whatever, uh, overrode his um, uh, desire for a happy domestic life and to do right by his parents, right? Because he kind of says, like, you know, this yeah. is not, I'm just going back for a few weeks to solve this crisis. I'm going back. Don't expect me to return. That's exactly. You know, telling her not exactly. to wait, telling the girl not to wait for him, right? So that's it. A third <laughs> way of looking at it hmm. is that he is choosing um, self-determination over hmm. cultural norms. Because right? certainly the vast cultural norm of that time is you stay with your family, you take care of your parents, you marry a nice girl and settle down. And yeah. For him to feel this weird obligation to the Asiatics, <laughs> exactly, know, yeah. Is, yeah, is is incomprehensible, you know. And there's some tension between him and this girl about some of that, right? She seems to be open to it, but she's very much, you know, a traditional British woman, and finds this all a bit weird and foreign. And he bristles at her a couple of times, right, when he feels like she's not being sufficiently respectful towards them. Who's not? Um, the, when the girl makes some comments which seem like dismissive or disrespectful, he kind of gets his. Oh, but yeah, 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 yeah. He defends them. Yeah, he becomes defensive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's that's an interesting yeah. thing there. Um, that was yeah, the second I, the point was that. Is, yeah, go ahead. I have two. I have two more points I need to make. <laughs> okay. Second yeah. point was that this picture of administering daily life. I know that's a major theme of your life. Yeah. Right. This idea of ministry in daily life, as you know, even though you've never been ordained or had any pastoral job titles, uh, you've very much modeled and lived and preached about this idea of ministry in daily life. So I'm curious how much of that is in the story and how much of that is reading yourself into the story. I think both are there. I'm just not sure how much is which. Yeah, that's interesting. And I'm curious whether that theme will develop further or not. Right. Um, but the the third point that I was originally to make way back when, which was that mm. I mentioned how his relationship with God seems to be real, but somewhat impersonal. Right. In that God sort of gives him rest. Um, I used to a conversation with a therapist about uh uh, he has a very interesting Trinitarian perspective where he says, depending on where we are at, we tend to be comfortable relating to God in a certain way, like as a father or as the spirit. But then in order to grow and work through our issues, we have to confront different aspects of him, like through the son. And so that's one of the things that's going on is okay. um, like he, he seems to be uh, like, for example, his. um the sense of God as a source of comfort to him is kind of like God as spirit, right? It's like God giving rest for your souls, kind of a mm. meditative, worshipful, contemplative type of thing. You could, mm. from a transparent perspective, say like he was really kind of grappling, he was experiencing uh, God as spirit. Whereas mm. in my narrative, it was very much God mm. as word, 
you know, incarnation and testimony yeah, right, and yeah, language, yeah, yeah, yeah. where this is all very much context. So that's interesting um, yeah. there. But the point I was going to make was that what struck me is that his interaction with God felt very impersonal uh, rather than personal. Uh, uh, before, before this, like in the, in the church, it, it was impersonal in the sense that, that he didn't really like God as a cosmic force helping him out definitely was there. Right. But God as a person where God has wills and wishes and desires and conversation mm-hmm. interaction, it's not yeah. really that much there. Right. But the reason I brought yeah. that up was when, mm-hmm. when I was first reading the story, the thing that struck me was his relationship with this girl felt um, a bit um, impersonal uh, in that, you know, the, 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 she seems like a nice girl, has many positive attributes, but, you know, she kind of feels like a plot device rather than a person, even to mm-hmm. him. Because he says, like, you know, that, like, the one of the lines was, like, you know, I could have, you know, stopped on the way back home and engaged in some casual kissing, which would have made her day and perhaps mm. mine too. Right. Yeah. It was almost yeah. like, he's like, he says like, I could marry her and she would be happy to marry me as opposed yeah. to, I really want to marry her. There's a sort yeah, of right, impersonal right. aspect. Yeah. And so I thought about this. Well, right. well, why is that? Well, I said, there's, I had a couple of theories about this. I don't know which one I believe. Like one is mm. that um, this is just uh, uh, distance. Right. At the time, he may have felt very emotional about it. But given that the reality was he ended up letting go of that, he kind of has shut down those emotions. Right. So he doesn't talk about her in these glowing romantic terms, uh, you know, about that. Um, so that's one possibility. Uh, another possibility yeah. is that, um, I think we talked about before about some of the uh, homoerotic imagery earlier on. Uh, you know, like when he's getting married and kissing Connie and the, the, the things like, you know, okay, maybe there is something there where he is uh, more culturally committed to marrying a woman than emotionally committed to the idea. It's possible. Um, mm. You know, uh, the third option is, well, he's just British. <laughs> this is like, you know, this That's is, true. Yeah. You know, the cultural yeah. norms right. that we have for how we talk about romance today. Yeah, almost like very Indian, yeah, Indian, uh, British and Indian. Yeah, Indian. Yeah. Yeah, well, it means yeah. even more so, right? It's like they're, 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 yeah. they're, the the uh, the they go for the, the parents would set up the, the wedding after he, after he meets her in the house and says, okay, whatever, go ahead, go go for it. Um, so there's that, um, and so those are some of the different things I thought about. Is that, um, and I don't have a strong preference among those different perspectives. I don't know if we're going to see her again or see enough of him to judge between them. Yeah. But it was interesting yeah. to me that we that that both his his relationship with the girl and the relationship with, with God feel very real, but also sort of uh, arm's length. And I think what's interesting to me is that his relationship to his business feels very personal. Yeah. Right? Like he he is uh, his identity is in his work, and he, he, he is tempted, if you will, to forsake that identity for a conventional one. Yeah. And when he has his encounter with God in the church, he realizes that it is a temptation. Yeah. Uh, and that he has to be true to himself, which means 
going back to this. And one of the interesting ideas to your point is that historically, the church has tended to elevate, um, you know, pietistic life, you know, being a monk or a priest or whatever, or yeah. in our modern era, domestic life, right? In that, you know, to be a good father and, you know, sincerely since James Dobson, uh, to be a good father, a good role model, be involved with your kids, take care of your parents, things like that. And it's an interesting twist in this story, uh, and this is kind of Shockland's doctrine, right, is that you actually get closer to God by doing good work than you can just by uh, being ordinarily religious. In fact, he would even claim, right, I think that, um, you know, ordinary Muslims pray five times a day, but if you pray through your work, you will pray 50 yeah. times a day, which is what God originally wanted. Right. And there's a, there's a fascinating sense of sort of reclaiming Eden, is that you're walking with God in the cool of the day uh, mm. and uh, being tending the garden. And so it is an interesting question at the end of this where we'll look back and say, you know, in some ways, even though it was a long, torturous road, do we think that... Uh, <clears throat> That that thesis is correct, that by you know following Shacklin for these four years and twenty three days or whatever the prophecy said, yeah, and yeah. and and bring the work there, you know, is it not just sort of like well a matter of obligation because that's you know it would have been, you know, uh, horrifically irresponsible for him to have abandoned the sheik and Shacklin and the regency to deal with all this stuff without him, yeah, yeah, um, or do we say that well? It's like a man who's like, you know, killed in war. It's like, okay, uh, so it, was, was, it, was it like a necessary evil that he had to do this? Or was it actually a positive good that somehow he became a deeper, more authentic spiritual being by choosing this road? Right. And I think right. it's not at all clear which way it's going to go from here. But yeah. I think those are some yeah. interesting questions to keep in mind. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, another interesting thing that I noticed was you started by saying that his desire to uh, stay in England, I don't know if I heard it correctly, you'll tell me, <laughs> uh, was primarily motivated by his devotion to his parents. That, you know, they were getting old and somebody has to take care of them, other people are not taking. So that was what was his motive for looking for a garage here and then even going along with the girl. That may be one of the reasons that he was not totally convinced that. I want to marry her. I have to marry her in order for me to settle down in England and live a uh, life that is uh, normal in the British sort of way. But uh, if that was the case, if that was the primary motivating factor of taking care of his parents, here he was coming out of the cathedral and he was saying, I, I drove back to Southampton with a mind at ease. It was bad luck on dad and mom and Doris but it had to be. It was just one of those things. Yeah. So, the, so his, either his uh, priorities changed or his, uh, he, got, his, he got the answer saying, okay, that's not what I want to do. That's not what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to go back to Bahrain. I got the answer here that my, uh, my uh, uh, let's say, 
ministry is over there. <laughs> my ministry. Well, sorry, really, I mean, okay. Yeah, like, like, yeah. That, to me, that's one of the interesting things. Is the way you and I mm. frame this is yeah. very personal. Like, I feel yeah. called to do this, or I believe this is God's yeah. will. What's interesting yeah. is he makes it. He doesn't like, say this that. is a very. It, it, my, my wife occasionally uses this. Well, this is the done thing. It's just the way things are, right? Mm. That it has to be this way. And yeah. there is a uh, almost sort of, I mean, I think it's a very British thing. And one could argue it was one of the great strengths of the British Empire uh, in, was that they created this culture of where you could just trust that people would do the done thing. Mm. Um, and it created this enormous uniformity of culture uh, mm. where you could, you know, go to a British outpost, you know, on five different continents and know exactly how people were going to treat you, right? Mm. That they would be mm. efficient and responsible and basically honest and, you know, and it's an, it's an extraordinary cultural achievement. Yeah. Ironically, right, in this case, the this uh, British imperative to, you know, do the right thing, you know, mm. ends up extracting him from the heart uh, quite literally, of the British Empire mm. and pushing yeah, them back out to the fringes. But in fact, that was also a big part of British colonialism, right? Was the fact that people felt it was not just uh, an opportunity, but something of a duty to, mm. you know, expand. And like in this case here, you know, I think we actually see the British imperialism in a relatively positive light. It's like, right. you know, the reason the government is there is to keep uh, unscrupulous adventurers from taking advantage of the native population. Um, and, you know, there was a uh, certain, we talked about this with India before, right? A certain degree of, even though there were foreign conquerors, they were in some ways far more humane than the local conquerors were. Oh, yeah. Not only uh, that, you know, I mean, you probably know the story about uh, they stopped child marriages in India. And they stopped, you know what a sati is? S-A-T-H-I. Yeah, right. Wife widow burning. Widow burning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wife jumping into the funeral pyre. She pushed it, probably. She right. pushed her in, probably. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, and, 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 and there's a slippery slope between these things and, like, cultural imperialism, right? And, you know, right. the, it, it, it is hard to disentangle those and the people who still argue today about, like, what right do they have to interfere with these yeah. things. And we have these arguments today about Muslim yeah. enclaves in Europe and how much yeah. are they allowed to enforce their own codes of justice and honor and is a burqa oppressive or cultural or liberating and you know there's no easy answers to a lot of these questions but yeah. it's a still an impressive achievement you know ignoring the moral uh, qualms mm -hmm. about it that they created this culture um, mm -hmm. and that it, it, it and that a big part of that I think uh, and I wonder if it's not uh, accidental, but in fact, intrinsic to it, is this sort of impersonal fatalism, right? Mm. It's not like, how dare they do this to me, or mm. I have to do this. It's like, it's just the way things are. Mm. And, you know, that's an interesting um, self-narrative he's using, which to us as more or less 21st century Americans Mm. Uh, looking back on that, it, it's an interesting um, piece of the puzzle, I think. We'll find out whether, again, you know, as we go further on, we'll find out which of these things were just little blips or which of these turned into major narratives.
and which of those so have a satisfying conclusion. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that because in this situation, especially in this chapter, he's behaving more like an American than a British guy. Because like you said, British imperialists were, totally they, they wanted them to worship them, us to worship them. They call them basically Lord, in my language, Dore. Uh, mm. don't address, uh, so whereas this guy is more democratic, you know, he says that it's my business, but then he brings in Shacklin and Gujar Singh and shares his uh, dilemma there. And, uh, you know, I need to get another plane and what plane to get. He gets almost like, you know, what is the thing that when you find out from uh, the people who work for you, how things should be done. Uh, I forgot the name employee, of that. You know, there was a moment. Employee suggestion box? or well, Not a suggestion box, but something. Uh, the name for that, right? I, I'll get employee that empowerment? Okay, well, yeah, okay. something like that. You know, he, he involves them in the decision-making process, and then he becomes very defensive when they call them darkies or they call them niggers or whatever. They are yeah. not. They're Asian. Although, I, <laughs> yeah. Although yeah. I wonder... How much of it was that the, the British people that you met were tended to be more sort of gentlemen, high class types, and he's kind of lives in a slum as a working class stiff. I, I don't know if that shaped any of that. No, ma. No, 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 no. Most of the people that huh. came to India were the. That was the thing that was bothering us now because these people were ordinary people and they thought they were very superior to us, whereas you know we are from a high class family. <laughs> ah. And, uh, See, uh, that's how we looked at them. Now, after we found out, some of these people were ordinary people there. When they came to India, they became really lords and ladies, and uh, they wanted us to worship them. They'll kick us and all this other stuff. We saw in the movie Gandhi. And so, uh, but uh, there are a couple of things about it. We were also influenced by the missionaries who were different than the imperialists, British, right? But even then, you know, I think you probably know that this missionary lady stayed in my house, my parents' house, Miss Lindsay. Did you Is know that? Karachi or just someone else? No, no, no. No, before Karachi. This is when my parents were married. They had no children for five years. And this lady, um, we were in a town 30 miles from Palengote. And this lady came and stayed in uh, our house in the upstairs as a like a guest. She was the correspondent of schools. So she uh, uh, she stayed in our house for quite some time. And I believe, uh, they believed that she was praying for a child for them. And then when I was born, they made her my godmother. Miss Lindsay was my godmother. Oh, wow. And you I'm may sure not remember the story, this, but, but, I, uh, but, yeah, yeah. but I remember it. This is fascinating. So, yeah, she retired and she went back to England and after we went there. Mom, you, um, Larry, and I went there to Liverpool, and we went on a boat ride with her, met her. We have one picture of her with all of us. Uh, what age? At that time. What I've been? Huh? What age would I have been? been? Six, seven, maybe six, seven. Okay. Uh, young, very uh, young. So, you I, know, I, I have some vague memories of going to, to Wales and ginger beer and things like that around that age. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was a little bit later. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe around that time, anyway. So uh, yeah. they were, I mean, they, she was not a, like an uh, aristocracy. She stayed in our house, ate what we ate. And mm. prayed for uh, uh, us. You know, they were different. But there were some bishops that were 
uh, hearty-tarty and things like that. They lived in big uh, mansions and they had you know, uh, all the privileges and they didn't really mingle with the local people. Americans did. When we, you know, we we saw that you know, when we were in the mission field, right in the in the, mm. in the Swaziland and stuff, you know, because that was forty years that. later, right? <laughs> yeah, 40 years was, later. more than that, more than that, yeah, more than that. But but still, uh, so this to me, this guy, I think you may have mentioned, this guy behaved more like an American than a high-class British imperialist. So I call him imperialist. That's interesting. You know, it's funny. Yeah. So yeah. I, I I noticed the things about him that actually make him mm. feel more British, like sort of the Imperial, the reserve and things like that. <laughs> but what you yeah. noticed about him is that he was much more like an American than the British people that you grew up with. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. you know- I don't know uh, what that means, but it's interesting. Because, you know, I, I have friends who went to, uh, I don't know, I told you about uh, my good friend I played tennis with, uh, his name is Glenn uh, Baldwin. And he was doing this, uh, in the Philippines, they, Del Monte sent him to the Philippines to take care of the plants there. And he invited the uh, Filipino foreman to come to him and say, okay, guys, what should we do to improve production? What do you think should be done? And when they suggested some things, then he put them into, uh, he implemented them and put them into practice and they were successful. And, and those people said they were really surprised that I asked them their opinion because the previous people told them this is how it should be done uh, yeah and, so and, anyway. and what's interesting yeah well it's interesting about that to me mm. it's sort of the idea of aristocracy versus meritocracy mm. right british had a fairly rigorous really a caste system right because you had the right. norman nobility and the anglo-saxon peasants yeah yeah and that you know <laughs> even in <laughs> yeah they still do i mean certainly after world war ii it's a lot weaker but it was right. like the dominant feature. I think one could argue World War One was largely yeah. driven by that, uh, yeah. the sense of, of of division. And really, only after World War Two did there was there a sense of sort of shared struggle that kind of created a, a deeper level of equality. Was before that right. it was like common to say, well, you know, respect your betters, right? The implication right. of someone who went to a better school than you did and was part of that class was literally yeah. a better person than you, which I think the yeah. Uh, the lords and ladies who, and you know, that made it easier to run an empire if you believe you're intrinsically better than those you're ruling. And it can right, have some very exactly. positive yeah. aspects and some very yeah. negative aspects. Uh, right. If, right. Uh, whereas America has always been much more about meritocracy, not entirely, but right. there's generally a sense that if you are, well, like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger went from being an immigrant to a bodybuilder to an actor to governor. Yeah. And it's like, okay, people may have disliked him for another things, but no one resented him saying, who does he think he is? Right. It's like, right. It's like, like, no, he's an American, right? I'm an American, right? right? I, you know, right. I, I, there's, exactly. there's, there's, you know, occasionally racial issues and cultural issues, but there's never any sense that I have felt like I am not just as much as an American as yeah. like our friends who are daughters of the American Revolution, right? It's right. like, that's a, and that. And how good of an American I am is much more about how much am I contributing to right. the future than yeah. how long I've been a part of the past. And it's worth realizing that that is somewhat novel. Yeah. Yeah. And what's exactly. interesting, yeah. you know, just tie back mm. to the book, is that mm. this this um, Shaq Lin character mm. is trying to do something similar with the Asian religion. 
he's trying to say like the most important thing is not whether you're a Hindu or a or a Jain or a Muslim or a Buddhist. The important thing is are you living this out in your daily life uh, in a way that's you know making planes safer <laughs> or something like that, right? Is there's this transcendent rather than yeah. historically contingent uh, thing? And again, I, I'm not sure if this thesis and, is and, going to be kinda, able to hold. And kind of vice versa, and because you are living your faith, you make the world better. You make the planes better. Yeah, that's how he's saying. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the other side of the coin. Yeah, and he says, and if you bring God into it, not only uh, you your faith is growing, but you're making the world better and safer. Right, but this radical idea that uh, it's funny. I was just talking about this in an earlier phone call. That you know, every movement has those who are concerned about the mission of the movement and mm. the mechanics of the movement. Uh, right. It's called Pole's Law of Bureaucracy, which is that mm. oh, goodness, the dogs are getting restless again. Um, that uh, there's people who care about the effectiveness and like whether we like in Christianity, like whether we're modeling Christ and fulfilling His commandments. And there's people who are concerned about like the church and the institution and the buildings and the uh, the pope yeah. and the hierarchy and the status. And he says the his whole Ireland bureaucracy is those who care more about the mechanics than the mission end up holding right. the levers of power because they're the ones right. who are willing to do all the dirty work and scut work to enable the rest of it to exist. We, mm. So you get to the point where actually people will end up sacrificing the mission to sustain the organization. And right. what's interesting is that he is on great terms with all the different local priests and functionaries. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, of the religion is. Mm. Um, but you could easily imagine a scenario where his mm. um, sort of trans-Asiatic uh, religious perspective ends up offending uh, the powers that be uh, mm. and causing um, it to be, lead to some sort of uh, conflict again i don't know how this is going to happen and as i said before it's like a fascinating thesis i don't know if his story can sustain all these theses yeah, um, it'll be interesting, but so yeah. far but so far he's doing a much richer job of developing his characters and their inner spiritual life uh tom's inner spiritual life than i expected and so i'm curious to see where it goes next yeah i think you may not know till the last chapter so <laughs> yeah um, all right. So, okay, man. All right. No. So, uh, you want to call me later on today? Sure. Um, yeah, I'm free until. Uh, if it's okay, maybe I'll call you when I'm on my way to pick up Anjali. Do you need to have a long talk or just to check in on a few things? Yeah, check in. You, you, right you can have Anjali on the thing. Yeah. So okay. So, it'll be like what time is that? What, so. Probably one forty-five okay, or so. Yeah, it'll be over three forty five. Okay. Between yeah, three forty five and four year time, I'll call. All right. Okay, Ma, thank okay, you very thanks. much. Uh, I'll go, uh, great I'll go episode, Dad. No. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay no, love you. Talk to you later. A great no, episode, you, Dad. Thank you. Okay, bye bye. Love you too. Bye. Love you. Ma.